Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Coming up on Commons People. You couldn't, in a no-deal scenario, cherry-pick the bits of the negotiation that actually went well for you. Dominic Raab talks tough. Dare I say, listen very carefully, I will say this only once. Jacob Rees-Mogg insists he's not trying to get rid of Theresa May. And has Jeremy Corbyn been breaching Commons security? Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Paul War. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ned. And Rachel Whitmell. Hi, Rachel. Hi. So um, let's get cracking with Brexit. Um, Here's Dominic Raab this morning uh, on the news sounding tough with Brussels. Well, what I said was that the, in the unlikely, as I said, outcome that we don't get a deal, we wouldn't be paying the money that's been agreed as part of the withdrawal agreement because you couldn't, in a no-deal scenario, cherry-pick the bits of the negotiation that actually went well for you. When we're recording this, we need to get these Brexit papers on the no-deal, kind of setting out the impacts on, like, phone charges and this kind of stuff. Um, why are the government publishing these? Like, What's the motivation behind it? I think it's to try and reassure... Two groups. One is their own backbenches that they're serious about no deal, and therefore, you know, um, it's still an option. Uh, however, unlikely they keep saying it is as an option. So it's to kind of placate the backbenches, given the trouble that Theresa May is facing on the backbenches. But the other audience is the public say, look, you know, we're in charge. You know, we're preparing for every eventuality. It's not chaos. But you know, we've got a grip on this. I think the big problem with that is that. Putting out some papers, no matter whether it's 30 or 70 for different areas of the economy, saying that you're preparing for a no deal is a bit of a fantasy exercise, really, because um, ask anybody in business or anyone who's an employer and they will all tell you if we fall out of the EU without a deal, it's a disaster, no matter what um, sector of the economy you're in. And essentially, this just does look like a sort of political ploy, mm. really. And don't forget, a lot of these papers, they're not actually detailed preparations. They're just warning various mm. bits of industry. You've got to be aware of this. You've got to be aware of that. You could, should, should you make sure of that? And it's true. It's business that will have to deal with it. Government can't run everything. But whenever Number 10 says to us, and they did the other week, um, uh, this proves that we're, we're fully prepared for a no deal. No, it doesn't. All it shows <laughs> is that you're prepared yeah. to do some preparations. Or it just shows that... Um, bad, or, you know, in their eyes, bad things will happen. Not necessarily they're actually ready for the consequences. And Rachel, is there a danger with these papers? They're just kind of seen as Project Fear Mark Two. I, I guess, in a sense, but I suppose one, one of the other audiences might be the EU. Um, so you know, we're so crazy. We may, still might go for no deal. We're so crazy that we might even talk about you know vehicle mm. standards. <laughs> be afraid. Be very afraid. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, in some senses, both sides of the Brexit debate in this country will. View it as and don't forget the EU fear. are going to do their own no deal preparation mm. paper, which again will be quite a fantasy exercise, uh, I kind of think. Um, but yeah, they you know they know what the game is. They know that actually in the real world 
it will be a mutual um, disaster if there is no deal. Um, and you know, no matter how many times Dominic Raab says, you know, we're it, it's it's there are what the, what was the phrase countervailing opportunities. Yes. Um, <laughs> then I don't think many people really think that. Are we closer to a deal now? I mean, Juncker in his speech kind of gave kind of warm words about Britain not being just any normal third country, which May then repeated back to him, didn't she, in PMQs? Yeah. Do you think we're looking like it's... Well, I think number 10 are convinced that there's a way through and that, that this is the sort of, despite all the criticism and despite the ups and downs, that actually this is the only workable, credible mm. plan and that it's the only plan that Europe can agree, it's the only plan that they can hold the government together. We'll see whether or not Parliament agrees, but... Um, you know, I, I you get a sense from wherever you talk to Number Ten about this that because there's no real alternative, people are just going to have to go with mm. it because the alternative is WTO, no deal. And even at the meeting, pack meeting this week, uh, I was in the Commons where at the beginning when uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Patrick Minford were telling people about the merits of a no deal, um, you got the impression that that even some of the Brexiteers in the room were saying weren't convinced. Only a few people in that room actually were really gung ho. Let's have a no deal. A lot of them said, "Look, we prepare to have." prefer to have a free trade deal, a Canada plus deal. Mm. That's what they want. But don't forget that the very few Brigsteers don't want that. It's funny you mentioned Jacob Rees-Mogg. So I've got a clip of him ah. uh, insisting that he's not trying to get rid of Theresa May, honest. <laughs> Here he is. Dare I say, listen very carefully, I will say this only once, because otherwise we'll get terribly bogged down and today is about the Irish issue. Um, I have long said and repeated again and again that I think the policy needs to be changed, but I'm supporting the person. Theresa May has enormous virtues. She is a fantastically dutiful Prime Minister, and she has my support. I just want her to change one item of policy. There was this meeting this week um, of 50 Tory MPs from the ERG, and then it was reported that they were all chatting about how they wanted to oust May. And it sort of turned out maybe that actually it was only kind of maybe six or seven of them, maybe the usual suspects. But there's obviously something going on. I mean, how, how secure do we think the Prime Minister is? Um, I think it's interesting just how divided the Brexiteers are at the moment, because mm. um, they don't seem to be united on how to take Theresa May out, if, it, if at all. Um, and it's funny that they were, they were going to be publishing this alternative um, Brexit plans, but they can't decide on, you know, exactly which plan they're going yeah. to go with. So at the minute, they're not going with any plan at all. Yeah. And I think that you, you're right that because of those divisions, um, you know, the government can pick them off and it can sort of, the closer we get to October, November, when the the crunch really comes and Brussels says, well, we like this bit, but we don't like that mm. bit. And there's a bit of compromise. The, the closer that date gets, then the more number 10 want to peel off people in the ERG, because there are some people, you know, it's a big group, sort of what, nearly 80 strong, mm. and a lot of different opinions in it. And you're right, Neil, actually, it turns out it was like half a dozen people who really were the nerdy wells who, who said, look, how do we change her? How do we get rid of her? Um, and... It's been significant that since that story emerged that a lot of them have really played it mm. down. Now, you might say they would, wouldn't they? Because if they were really secretly plotting, why make it public? But, you know, everything we've heard from that meeting suggests that it wasn't a majority. And Steve Baker, the former Brexit minister, mm. was the only senior Brexiteer who was actually in the room and, and everyone else wasn't. And even he has been at pains to say this is mm. not about the leadership. I thought it was interesting that... Um was it yesterday? I forget what happens, what days now. But it was uh, the EIG launched their kind of plan for Northern Ireland. So Jacob Rees-Mogg and David Davis in that meeting were very clear, you know, trying to dampen down this idea. They're trying to get rid of May. 
Um, but it's quite funny that in the room were quite a lot of the Tory MPs that have publicly said they put a letter in to 1922 to get rid of her. So you had kind of David Davis saying, no, 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 it, it's the policy we want her to change, not the person um, at the moment. And kind of talking to these people that themselves have, have put letters in. And don't forget that, that one, one thing that has changed on the leadership, of course, is that there is now a kind of obvious candidate. Boris Johnson. Mm. So previously, that was always number 10's line, which was, well, who else if not her? Yeah. No one wants it. Boy, does he want it. Uh, <laughs> the question is whether he's got the numbers. Um, I, it was interesting. Someone told me this week that actually, believe it or not, a very pro-Remain MP has now come around to the opinion that, oh, I might back Boris because I just hate Theresa May so much. She's such a disaster. And if you can get more people like that, you never know. I've, mm. It's still a long shot, but you never know. And... You know, the Tories, let's be honest, they're much better at killing their leaders than Labour mm. are. Much better. But I wonder if the real risk for um, Theresa May is if Penny Morden decides to to take a run. She had this um, blog this week where she talked about uh, optimism, the political class, leadership. You know, it sounded very, very much like a, mm. um, a an initial pitch for the leadership. And she could unite some of the Brexiteers with some of those Remainers who are also happy because she's not yeah. as divisive as Boris. Yeah, it was really striking actually, Rachel, that, that blog because it reminded me so much of another former Tory female cabinet minister who set out a store on something that wasn't her own brief and that was Theresa May. She did it on the economy <laughs> mm. uh, at a Conhome conference just about three, four years ago. And everyone thought, whoa, finally, this is she's certainly interested in the leadership. And you're right, I think Morden's an yeah. interesting name. I think you're right. Again, she's you know a Brexiteer who's kind of social, socially liberal as well. It's interesting. We had the story about a kind of counter meeting of about 80 kind of moderate Tories last night in Westminster to kind of fight back against the ERG and in the room was Penny Morden it yeah. wasn't just kind of it was you know Nikki Morgan and Anna Subri and, and the ones you expect but it was she was there as well a very kind of high profile I think kind of show that she's yeah very trying, deliberate very move. deliberate move yeah I think that. well that's and she's what, very quietly just getting on with her yeah. job as well she's obviously still um tarnished slightly from the referendum campaign mm. work because of her talk about Turkey and getting all that then, then doesn't that help her but, with the kind of Brexiteers it helps side, with the Brexiteers so. but it doesn't help in terms of the sort of centrists who, who think you know is she up to it that doing that really mm. senior job and don't forget as well that actually the Tories, if you want to take out a leader, they've been a bit cack-handed about it this week. You know, they've, they've half a dozen of them have been caught talking about it. But it will get serious at party conference and after when we see the, the what happens in terms of the deal that the government's proposing. And if it does get serious, then don't forget that the, the best plotters are the ones whose hands aren't on the knife. They'd have no, no blood on their hands. And it reminds me interestingly of many years ago when Ian Duncan Smith was a liability for the Tory party and who was it that inherited the crown? Michael Howard. Michael Howard had no fingerprints on the dagger but boy did Michael Howard know everything about that leadership plot and his lieutenants were all involved up in Blackpool in destabilising Ian Duncan Smith and the curious thing now in the way politics has worked out is that Ian Duncan Smith and Michael Howard are Exactly the same place on Brexit. Two really strong Brexiteers. And yet one of them knifed the other one. Yeah. Um, and that's Tory politics for you. So, yeah. you know, they're good at it. Let's move quickly to uh, Labour. And Diane Abbott had a speech today about her, their immigration policy, saying they want to scrap the immigration cap, etc. Rachel, you were there. Uh, mm -hmm. What were they saying? What was, what's her? Uh, well, and first of all, I'd say it was noticeable just how nervous Diane Abbott was. This is really? not an area that... Labour are comfortable mm. um, talking about. I don't think that's just because of 
how Labour voters um, are divided on Brexit, um, but it's also just how the how the party is divided. Um, everyone will probably remember Ed Miliband's controls on immigration mug and how that went for them. But it was it was interesting. There's a lot of smart stuff in there. Um, she said that they would drop the immigration target enti- entirely. Um, so she said it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a numbers game. It would be. Um, she said that was entirely discredited, and she was back this morning by um, former senior civil servant. Um, David Normington, who said it's, mm. it's entirely discredited. Um, she also indicated there'd be no preferential treatment for EU citizens. Um, right. So she said a fully, quiet, a fully qualified doctor from Pakistan will get the exact same treatment as a fully qualified doctor from Poland. Um, she also um, said they would close Yarl's Wood and make funds available mm. to help trafficked women. Um, and she also said that they um, would focus more on em- employers uh, at recruiting overseas. So she said... Um, um, she, she would want that a Labour government would want, would want to see proof that they tried everything to recruit someone from resident here, not mm. you know, not a British worker, or such, yeah. but like someone who was resident here before recruiting abroad. The preferential treatment thing is interesting. That's kind of was often a Brexiteer argument, wasn't it? That mm. you know, it's un, it's racist um, the EU because it's unfair. We don't get access to people from across the world. It's That's why I think it's quite a cleverly constructed policy. Really, mm. I mean. You know, Rachel's right. They've they've steered well clear of any detail on immigration until now, um, and now they've come up with it. I, I have to say, there are parts of that policy today, including, for example, the idea of scrapping so-called exorbitant fees for vi- for visas, hmm. um, which Sajid Javid's looking at because he knows that it's a really big issue in the BAME community. The parts of that policy announcement today that you think the government can actually nick. And when it comes out, when there is finally a post-Brexit immigration plan from the government, which we might find out at the end of the year, um, we're due to find out certainly before Brexit, but after the deal has been announced, then it won't look that dissimilar from what Diane Abbott announced, in my opinion, because business are demanding that they need their skills. Mm. Um, You know, there's also a demand from the voters that there are some kind of curbs on immigration. And she, it's interesting that I think they sort of they're finding their way through it. Mm. And they're, they, they're sort of back to policy again. They've had the summer of kind of anti-Semitism completely consume the party. But yeah, John McDonnell with kind of economic announcements recently. He's everywhere at the moment, isn't he? He is. Um, which is interesting. Um, they've got this speech on immigration. Do you think they might be able to get a bit away from it in time for conference? I know it's only a week away, but... Um, well, um, I gather from um, this afternoon in Westminster that uh, Alan Sugar is going to be making quite a strong speech on anti-Semitism in the Lords this afternoon. So, so um, no. Not necessarily, <laughs> I guess, is this the answer to that. But it is interesting that they are talking about policy again. And I think that is the only thing they can do. They can just basically, it landed, I think it landed overnight reasonably well, this story about immigration. Uh, it might, we'll see how it lands in, in the newspapers. But that, that together with John McDonnell talking about the gig economy, McDonnell got a really good media splash this week mm. saying he got the front page of the FT, you know, partly because the business didn't like it. But, but crucially, you know, Labour are talking about the issues. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a quiz now. Uh, I wrote one last night and it was really bad. But then I've done another one, which I wrote 10 minutes ago. So, Which, which is, is awesome. probably <laughs> even better. Uh, it's called Spiral Lower. And this is to do with the suspects in the Salisbury murder. Oh, I've yeah. given an interview to RT. I'm not sure if you two have seen it. No, I haven't. Quite... Right, so it's amazing. They claim they were just uh, on holiday. They were tourists, were tourists. they? Tourists. Um, they work in the fitness industry. They're just tourists. They came to Salisbury to look at the spire because they've heard it was really nice. 
that Salisbury Spire. Yeah. So good, they went back two days in a row. Yeah. That's, their, that's their excuse on RT just now. Um, so Salisbury <coughs> Cathedral is 123 metres tall. Here's some other cathedrals. Whoa. Are they t- taller? So spire, spire or, or lower? lower. Uh, lower. I see what you did there. Yeah. Spire, so spire or good. lower. It's good okay. that, yeah? Yeah, it's good. I like that. Anyway, so um, Peter and Paul Cathedral in St. Petersburg. Is spire. That- I've actually seen that recently Ooh, during how, the World Cup. How tall was it? <laughs> um, so is that taller than... The thing is, I don't know quite how tall Salisbury is. I'm going to say... Salisbury is 123 metres. I'm going to say it's it's higher than St. Peter and St. Paul. It's um, 122.5. Oof. So marginally lower. Oh. Okay, um... Our Lady of Peace Basilica in the Ivory Coast. What? No idea. This is this is a niche oh, yeah. question. <laughs> well, um, logically, how old can that church be? I wonder. Um, wow. Uh, maybe it's a modern one. Therefore, they're going to do it super super high. I'm going to yeah. say higher, higher than Salisbury. I'm going to go lower just to be. Uh, it's, it's higher. It's 158, and it's the tallest Roman Catholic church in the world. Wow. So Wikipedia tells me. Um, okay, and then Riverside Church in New York. Oh. Is it higher or lower? Lower. Higher. <laughs> uh, lower, 119. Ah. And then one last one, uh, Lincoln Cathedral. Oh, that's a really nice cathedral, isn't it? Um, I've never seen it. Um, I'm going to say it's lower. It's beautiful, but I think it's lower. Spire. I've never seen it. <laughs> so it is lower. It's 83. But it used to be higher. It used to be 159, but then like half of it fell down. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's a quiz about cathedrals because of <laughs> crazy Russian excuses for stuff. Um, and then... just said the fudge shop. Sal- Salisbury has an amazing fudge shop. Does it? Like, <laughs> the greatest variety of fudge I've ever seen. It, it <laughs> that's why we were, they were there. We, we, we didn't come to the UK to murder anyone. We just came to Salisbury to go to the fudge shop. I think that's an even worse excuse than saying they're going to the cathedral. I, I personally would have found it more believable. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Paul, you had a great story this week about uh, one of Jeremy Corbyn's aides who's apparently, what, been sneaking into Parliament for months without a pass. Explain yeah. what's going on and yeah, why it this, matters. Yeah, this well. is all about um, uh, a woman called Iram Awan, who is the private secretary to the leader of the opposition. It's a really important title because she gives strategic advice. She coordinates his office's uh, duties. She has a, quite, a, quite a, an important role. And her predecessor was Laura Parker, who is now the national coordinator for Momentum. So you can tell just how mm. it's not, this isn't a sort of admin role. This is someone who's got a sort of political mouse. And so that's why it matters. She's close to Jeremy. He, he highly rates her. But we've discovered that um, ever since uh, she was appointed, which was late last year, she has uh, been entering Parliament without the proper security clearance and she's been coming in on a visitor's pass routinely. Now, the rules are in the House of Commons that, yeah, OK, of course, when someone applies for a security pass, there might be a bit of a delay. So you can bring someone in on a security pass sort of temporarily. Mm. But this is nine months. This is a long, long time. And it's basically that what's the reason it's a breach of the rules and I'm sure the authorities will conclude this because there's an investigation now, is that routinely, on a daily basis, mm. she was brought into work. Now, the rules are very clear. Um, you know, any journalist, any MP's assistant, anybody working in the House of, House of Parliament cannot 
work in the House of Houses of Parliament without security. Clearance. And I mean, it can sound kind of kind of procedural, this, but it doesn't matter, doesn't it? I mean, the security of people working in that building is very important. So it's not just a sort of. It, you know, it does matter. I think it speaks to something else as well. It's about um, public trust and can you be trusted to treat, you know, things mm. with respect, um, things that, yeah, security with respect. Yeah, and obviously the, the timing couldn't be worse in the sense that, you know, there's been, there was a terror attack, yeah. as we all know, Westminster Bridge attack, and the inquest into that started this week and it's reminded everybody just how horrific that was, what the stakes are here, how traditionally... You know, Parliament was quite open and it wasn't a fortress, but it's had to mm. kind of become a fortress. And only this summer in August, there was another, you know, a, a attempted terror attack with a man um, using a car to mow down pedestrians and cyclists. Um, and so it's not as if this isn't in everybody's minds mm. that security in Parliament really matters. Whenever you walk around the building, you're always constantly stopped. Have you got your pass? You know, are you wearing your pass? So it's an issue. And also you would have thought for the leader of the opposition, it would also be an issue. What do you think? I mean, if there's, there's an investigation into it, isn't it? What Do you know what the kind of conclusion would, would not the conclusion, but what the punishment is, for example, if well, they found have broken the rules? Well, it seems already, and we can't be uh, explicit about this, but it seems already that since yesterday, since the par parliamentary authorities launched an investigation, that uh, this woman is actually basically going to have to work at home a lot more, shall we say? And she'll have, if she does use a visitor pass, it'll have to be as a visitor. It'll mm. be for like an hour-long meeting with Jeremy. Now that might make her job quite difficult, given how she is the private secretary to the <laughs> leader of the opposition. Yeah. Uh, there's a separate issue, which is whether or not she's been accessing parliamentary intranet, and you can only do that if you're a pass holder. Uh, or whether anyone gave her their login, you know, mm. which would be a breach of another breach of the rules. So it depends what they find. But if they find that those rules have been breached, then it could have serious consequences for the leader of the opposition's office. Um, you know, who knows what sanctions they're going to take? Mm. And not to state the obvious, but this is someone who wants to be prime minister, isn't it? So. <laughs> it yeah. is indeed. He, he does. And uh, <laughs> with that, uh, let's finish. <laughs> See you all next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. 